If you have your Bibles, make your way to Proverbs chapter 11. We've been studying Proverbs this summer. As you're making your way there, let me remind you about the goal of the book and about a little bit about the structure of the book. Remember that Solomon compiled the wisdom of the Proverbs to help his son live a wise and godly life. He wanted him to skillfully navigate a broken planet. It's filled with practical wisdom. Last week, we ventured into the large collection of wise sayings that most of us um, think about when we think of the Proverbs, chapters 10 to 30. Now, if you've ever read through this section, it might be easy to get distracted or lost um, because it seems like he just put them randomly in there. But last week I suggested that this section is like an Easter egg hunt. Solomon has stuffed practical little eggs of wisdom and hidden them across his field. And now we have the honor and the privilege of seeking this wisdom out and learning from it. And so what we're doing is we're, we're taking it theme by theme. And if you go through the Proverbs looking for a particular theme, you will learn something and you will be transformed. Last week, we looked at the theme of family. This week, we're gonna look at money. How do wise people navigate wealth? As you read through the Proverbs, you can't escape the fact that money is a prominent issue. And here's why. Money's a big issue in our day-to-day lives. We need wisdom for how to navigate wealth. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 to 28 gives us a good summary of the book's instructions. So I'd like to start here. We're gonna hang kind of the message on this text. We'll break it down from here. Proverbs 11, verse 24. The word of the Lord. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings a blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. Verse 28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Pray with me. Lord, your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. I pray this morning that your spirit would illuminate the power of your word in our lives today. God, shine in the darkest corners of our heart. Would you shine and expose the idols that we have erected in our lives Would you convict us and challenge us and may we leave today in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. A few years ago, the internet in my house crashed. It's a fairly common occurrence in Boone. We're used to this. I got home from work and I opened up my laptop, wanted to check something. I don't even know what I was trying to check, but it was urgent. Of course, it's always urgent and I couldn't get on. Now, I I know the protocol. This happens enough. You call the customer service, they do two little tests and you get your internet running again. Well, This was a different day because I called my customer service line and and I couldn't get through. The phone lines were jammed. I knew something was up. I needed to investigate. And we all know that the best place to get reliable and quick information is Twitter. Can I get an amen? No, maybe not. No, just kidding. Yes. (laughs) Well, fortunately, my phone had a quick cell phone phone service, the, the data on there. So I was able to find a connection and I got onto Twitter. And sure enough, my internet service provider was having an awful day. They had lost connection in the entire southeastern part of the United States. And as you can also imagine, the Twitter sphere was not pleased at this. A lot of people were were realizing that, wait a minute, I'm not gonna be able to watch Netflix tonight. And so they were chiming in with a lot of angry comments. And as it typically happens on social media, you get wrapped up into the anger. And I was about to chime my dissatisfaction when the irony of the moment hit me. We were complaining about losing the internet. Wait, wait for it. On the internet. How does that happen? We are a terribly confused society, are we not? 
We are by far the wealthiest country in the history of the world, but we're also one of the crankiest and least content societies. Now, I know you're aware of this information, but let me bring it up again because we need to be constantly reminded of it. This room makes up the top four to 5% of the world's wage earners. We are rich. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Because most of us wouldn't consider ourselves rich. There are far wealthier people out there. We're making ends meet. We're living month to month. But here's the deal. If you got to pick out what you wore to church this morning, you're rich. If you got to pass through a few shirts and pick out a few pairs of pants, whatever, you're rich. If you got to drive to church this morning in the comfort of a personal car with air conditioning, you're rich. We had a student last winter walk three miles through the snow to church and she became an instant celebrity here. Josh Hayes called her the girl who walked. She's no, she's no longer here. She was here just for a brief little bit. But here's the point. If you walk three miles in Boone to get to church, you're incredible. People did that all across the world this morning. Nothing spectacular. People walk miles and miles to go worship the Lord. But in our society, that's really interesting, isn't it? If you walk to church, because we just drive. We are a rich society. We have more money and options and opportunities than any nation on the history of the earth, but we're also frustrated, dissatisfied. We complain about the loss of our internet on the internet. That's what's happened to us. We are in desperate need of God's wisdom to help us navigate finances. I believe the Proverbs are a great place for us to start when we're looking at the, the, the theme of money. One of the challenges of developing a theology of money is that the Bible says so much about money. I heard even this morning that there's about 600 verses in the Bible on prayer. Can you guess how many there are on money? About 2,300. A lot of verses on prayer. One out of every 10 verses in the Gospels talks about money. It's, it's, an, it's, it's a lot of information on money. And the Bible does it from every angle. There are rich people in God's kingdom and there are poor people in God's kingdom. God restored the fortunes of Job, but he asked the rich young ruler to walk away from it. Wealth is a sign of God's blessing. It's also a sign of God's curse. And so if you're not careful, you can take this just expansive amount of data on, on, on money in the Bible and you can develop an imbalanced theology. You can develop a prosperity theology. God wants to bless you with money. Or you can go to the other side and develop an austerity theology. Only the poor people are in God's favor. Neither are right. The Proverbs won't let you go to either extreme. The teaching, as we will see this morning, is incredibly balanced. But here's the best part, and what I learned from the Proverbs this week as I studied it. The Proverbs don't tell you just how to think about money. The Proverbs tell you how to use your money. And for that reason, I don't want to just preach to your mind this morning. I don't want us to walk out of here with a new philosophy of money only. I want us to walk out of here having been changed and transformed. I want to preach to the heart, but that's dangerous. You know why? Because your heart controls your wallet. But I'll go there because the Bible goes there and the Proverbs go there. It's a, ma it's a matter of discipleship that we go there. So let's jump in. Here is the outline in the book of Proverbs. Here are three points that we'd like to explore this morning. First, we will learn how to make money. Second, how to navigate money. And third, how to use our money. So let's jump in. First, how to make money. This is a surprising way to start a biblical lesson on money, isn't it? Christians shouldn't make money. We should give it away. Well, yes, we're getting there. Um, but before we give money away, we need to have money. And in order to have money, we need to make money, right? 
This is actually not a point that I was expecting to preach this week, but that's what happens when you study the Bible. You need to see what's in the text and preach what's in the text. And as you read through the Proverbs, this is actually a very prominent text. Solomon wants his son to know how to make money. Money is not inherently bad. It's a good thing. Actually, if you look at Genesis, you will remember that God created a good world bursting with good resources. He didn't skimp on us. He filled the world with good and pleasant things. There's a verse that I discovered this week that I just had blown by over and over. Genesis chapter two, verses 11 and 12. Moses let us know that out of the Garden of Eden, there were four rivers. And in one of these rivers, there's a region where God hid gold. And how was the gold? It was good gold. God didn't stuff gold into our hills to tempt us one day when we would excavate it out and, and, and as a stumbling block. That's not why God put gold in our world. God put gold in our world so that we can enjoy it. Proverbs confirm this truth. The term wealth occurs 10 times in the book of Proverbs and exactly one half of those are positive. We're told to prize wealth. But here's the key. You can only make money and enjoy money when you do it God's way. That's key, and the Proverbs will show us how to do that. There are lots of ways to do that, but here's three ways that you can do it. First, you can build money, build wealth by working hard. Look at Proverbs 10.4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now the Bible has so much, actually the Proverbs have so much to say on the issue of work that in two weeks, we're gonna look at this theme entirely. We're gonna spend a whole Sunday looking at the theme of work. But for now, it's enough to say that the, the Proverbs value hard work. God created us to work. Remember what paradise is, the Garden of Eden? It's not an exotic island where Adam and Eve are just enjoying time on the beach all day long. No, 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 it's a garden. And gardens require work. Paradise then is a place where Adam and Eve got their hands dirty. Nothing dignifies us more than hard work. And generally speaking, nothing brings money like hard work. Hard work leads to money. Keep in mind the fact that the reason our country is so wealthy is because our parents and grandparents got home from the war and got to work. We need to remember that's, that's part of our nation's identity. Hard work. Second, if you want to build wealth, build it slowly. Look at Proverbs 13, 11. There's far more verses that speak of this, but here's one. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. What a profound concept. Now, money has a way of falling into some people's laps. This is especially true in our day and age where we celebrate stories like this. We're always looking for a quick dollar. Isn't this why we love American Idol? We love living in a country where a cow farmer can become a country music sensation overnight. And we're dreaming, maybe that'll happen to me. But according to the Proverbs, be careful. That's the, that's the most dangerous type of money there is. Here's why. When your money increases faster than your character, you're not gonna know how to spend your money. So be careful what you wish for. That's why you build it little by little, then your money will increase as your character increases and you'll know how to handle wealth, which we'll see is an important part. When you, we see this happening in professional sports every year. When you give a 22-year-old kid a 17 billion contract, you just step back and watch his life implode. Money destroys people unless that kid has wise and godly people speaking wisdom into his life. Money built quickly is dangerous, and so we must build it slowly. Finally, we must build money, build wealth honestly. Look at this verse in Proverbs 15. 
Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. In a crooked world, we will have many opportunities to make money dishonestly at the expense of our character, at the expense of our integrity. Maybe you're facing this decision right now. Should I take the money or should I tell the truth? Solomon gives us a sober warning. Dishonest money will destroy you and it will trouble your household. If you have this option, don't sacrifice your integrity for cash. You can always make more cash. Don't sacrifice your integrity. As Proverbs 19.22 says, it's better to be poor than to be a liar. Let me tell you this story. After first service, a gentleman came up visiting from Gastonia. He owns a business. He allowed me to share this story. He had a young worker, a hardworking young man at his company, and he texted his boss at, at this point in the service. And he said, hey, I think the secretary put $100 extra in my check this week. And I wanted to let you know so I could give it back. And, the, and, and he was floored, as was I when I heard that story, because this young man, maybe that $100 would help him this week. He's leaving $100 on the table, but you know what? He's going to do just fine because he's building money God's way. So if you have an option for money or to tell a lie, always, or, or, always tell the truth. Actually, I said that wrong. There we go, straight that. There we go. This is a small example on how the Proverbs would teach us how to think, how to build money. Work hard. Um, build it slowly. Build it honestly. Here's the trick. Once you build a little bit of wealth, you automatically enter into a world of dangers. Money is hard to make, but it's even harder to manage. And so this is the trick. When you, when you receive money, you're gonna have to know what to do with it. I just mentioned that one half of every occurrence of the word wealth is positive. Can you guess what the other half is? Negative. As soon as you acquire some wealth, you're also told not to trust it. So every time you're told to prize money, you're also told not to trust it. Money can corrupt us. So we need to learn how to navigate the dangers of money. This is the second point in our outline. Again, a prominent theme through the book of Proverbs, but here are two reasons why money is dangerous. First, money will betray you. Don't trust it. It'll betray you. This has become one of my favorite Proverbs. I love it. Proverbs 23, 4, and 5. Do not acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. What a provocative way to communicate a sobering reality. As soon as you lock your eyes on a product or something that you desire, guess what it does? It sprouts wings and flies away. Here's a silly example that I, I used to tell our college students. When I was in the third grade, I showed up on the first day of school, which is a big moment, the first day of school. You're gonna, what, what is everybody else wearing? You pick out your clothes, right? I, I walk into class, and to my just shock and horror, everyone in class had a pair of light-up shoes, except for me. I, I had a boring pair of Spaldings. They were like some rip-off Jordans, and so I walked in, and my shoes were boring. They didn't light up, but everybody else in that class had a pair of light-up shoes. I went home and begged and begged, please, I need a pair of light-up shoes, but my family had a pretty firm rule, one pair of shoes at the beginning of the year. You wear them out, next school year, we'll get you a new pair. I burned with envy the entire year. Every time we walked up and down the hallway, it was like a fireworks show, and I was the only one out of the party. Everybody else had it made. You can guess what happened when I came in first day of school in fourth grade. 
I walked into that room expecting my moment of redemption. I had the brightest pair of light up shoes that pick and pay had to offer. I walked into that room and nobody else had had light up shoes on. That was a third grade trend. And so every step that year was a bright and painful reminder that fashion trends sprout wings and fly away. You can't really stab them out with your pencil either, I tried. (laughs) This truth isn't so silly when you remember how a lot of wealthy people reacted to the economic crash in 2008, just 11 years ago. Apparently the entire stock market can sprout wings and fly away, and when it does, you have a lot of broken, crushed people. What have your eyes lit upon? What are you looking at thinking, if I just had that? Next time you casually scroll through Zillow, remember that even a house can sprout wings and fly away. Next time you drive past that lot, imagining yourself in a new ride, just remember, cars can sprout wings and fly away. Poet said it well. Money talks, I won't deny. I heard it once. I said goodbye. (laughs) Money will betray you. And that's the truth that the Proverbs communicate. We need to hear that. Second, money won't protect you. Here's another reason why it's futile to trust money. Money has a way of making us feel safe and secure. That's why we try to hoard it. Because rich people, they live in bigger homes with better security systems. They live in safer neighborhoods with gates. They don't have to work as hard with their bodies. They can go on better vacations, restore, they can eat better food. It seems like money can prolong your life and keep you safe, doesn't it? But the Proverbs remind us, it's just not true. Money is a worthless protection. Listen to these verses, Proverbs eleven four: Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Chapter 18, verse 11. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Think about that. A rich man's wealth is like a strong city. This is why typically if you make a little money, your character changes. You become more confident. I think in, in chapter 18, it talks about how poor people have to beg. They have to beg, but rich people can talk harshly because they live in a strong city. They feel invincible. Money is like a high and lofty wall. They are protected from any insecurity. But, but here's the deal. Look at verse 11 again. It's only in his imagination. The wall doesn't actually exist. The strong city isn't actually there. It's all in your head. Money only gives us the appearance of being safe. We think that we can insulate ourselves from a dark and an evil world, but money does not provide an actual refuge. You can see this principle very clearly when people get sick. If you're used to buying your way out of any jam, you just see this happen. When you get a diagnosis, you think, I will buy myself a cure and throw everything you have at trying to get better. But life is hard and difficult. And we're reminded that there's some things that money just can't protect you from. And sickness is one of those. Money cannot protect us in the day of wrath. But we do have a refuge. His name is Jesus. This is why the Proverbs will continually invite you to fear the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's the key to living a wise and godly life. So if you want to be secure, and if you want to be satisfied, don't look to your bank account. Look 
to Jesus. So this is the Proverbs teaching on money. It's a very balanced view. Money is good. If you work hard, you can build some wealth. But on the other hand, money is dangerous because if you accumulate a little bit of wealth, it can corrupt you. And so we've worked ourselves into a balanced teaching, but it's also a tension. Do you feel it? What do we do? Do we stop working? No, that's not good. Do we, uh, do we, what do we do? Money corrupts us, so how, how do we navigate that? This leads us to the third and final point of our outline. Solomon will now show us how the wise person skillfully manages God's money. What do we do with money? According to the Proverbs, there is one way to handle God's money. Are you ready for it? Give it away. There's one way to handle it, and you give it away. Don't wait for it to fly away, and don't wait for it to crumble in a pile of ashes. If you make money, give it away. This is what the wise person does. He works hard. He makes money, but he doesn't trust in that money. He looks for opportunities to bless other people, particularly if you read through the Proverbs, people that have needs. God's eyes are on poor people and the, rich, the, the, the wise person will look out for needs and meet them. This is the heart of the biblical teaching on money and it shines brightly in the Proverbs. We read this at the beginning of our message. Let me read it again because I think it's the key verse on money in the text. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give but what happens to him? He only suffers want. Whoever brings a blessing will be enriched. Whoever waters will himself be watered. Now, humanly speaking, this makes absolutely no sense, does it? How are you enriched when you give your stuff away? How do you gain by losing? It it makes no logical sense. This is hard for us to grasp because we live in a society that does not believe in God. It's what people call a secular society. God doesn't exist, our world says. And in that secular society, there's a dome over the earth. And what you see is what you get. There's nothing else. That's what our world would say. And in this secular economy, it would be foolish to give anything that I make away. Only the strong will survive in this kind of a godless world. And so we must make as much money as we can and we must hold on to every penny that we make. That's how our godless world thinks about money and every one of us in this room has been impacted by that view. But the Proverbs show us the irony of this perspective. It doesn't work. It it just doesn't work. It makes logical sense, but in reality it doesn't work. If I refuse to give On paper, it looks like I have more than you. It looks like my needs are met. But this verse shows us that if you withhold your money, what do you suffer? Want. This this explains what we described at the very beginning, why our society is the richest ever, and yet we are the most discontent society as well. We hold on to our wealth, and it just burns inside of us. We become cranky. And it destroys us. We feel like we never have enough. That's how rich people can become, act like they don't have anything. But the Bible introduces us to a, a new concept, a different economy with different rules. God does exist. And God is involved in our world. And, and even better, God is good. And God is concerned about your physical needs about giving you food and clothes and shelter. This theme is all throughout the Bible. If God feeds the birds, don't you know that he will feed his sons and daughters? 
All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. When you grasp this and you believe this in faith, it will transform your understanding of money. You don't have to cling to money to meet your needs. Money doesn't meet your needs. God meets your needs. It will free you to use your money in a different way, in a liberating way. You can give it all away. I love how the text says that you will be able to water other people. You'll be able to see people that are worn down, like a, like a plant that's sagging. What does that plant need? Just a little water. You can do that with your money to other people. That is a truly blessed life. If you know that God has provided your food, you can pull up a seat from someone else and invite them into the meal. If you just gobble it down without thinking, you're just gonna always be hungry. But if God provides it, you can share. If God provided your house, you can open the door and share. If God filled your bank account, you can, you can drain it for meeting needs. That's wisdom. When you live like that, you will be truly blessed. It is better to give than to receive. And so the Proverbs give us a really beautiful teaching on money. Work hard, make lots of money. Don't trust that money, give it away. Where can we find the power to live like that? It's our weekly question. The Proverbs show us the ideal. The ideal is generosity. The Proverbs will not teach us how to get to that ideal. Our weekly reminder that Solomon and all of his wisdom, you remember how he destroyed his life? Through money, he got rich and it sidetracked him. Where can we in this room find the power to live a radically generous life? This is where we need the gospel. This is where we need the gospel. If we wanna be radically generous, we must look to the primary and ultimate giver and that is God himself. I wanna show you a verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse nine. It's a familiar verse. Let's just dwell on it for a moment this morning. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Let that weigh on you. The eternal son of God gave up his wealth. He knew what it was like to be wealthy, to be in heaven, to have owned the earth because he created the earth. He had it all and he knew the blessings of true wealth, not the type that corrupts, but true wealth, the relationship with the Father and with the Spirit. He was wealthy. He had everything he needed, but listen to what he did. He gave it all up. Why would he do that? For us. For us. And the Bible says that he became poor. Jesus didn't give it all up to live a semi-comfortable middle-class life. He gave it up to become poor. The son of God, I want you to think about this. The son of God at night would shiver in the cold. He would go days without eating. His stomach rumbled with hunger pains. His feet got blisters from walking from town to town. He didn't even own a pillow. And on the last day of his life, the, the greedy Roman soldiers were casting lots for his single possession, his cloak. He, he gave everything for us. He did that so that you and I could become rich and wealthy. Not, 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 I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about true and genuine wealth. A relationship with God himself. That's why Jesus became poor. He did that for the lazy people in this room that refused to work. He did that to give you wealth. 
and blessings. Jesus died for the people that have wrecked their lives through foolish financial decisions and have amassed an insurmountable debt. He did that for the workaholics in this room and the stingy people in this room that have been corrupted by worldly wealth. Jesus became poor so that we could know what it's like to have true life, true wealth. When your wealth is in the cross, you can think about money in an entirely different way. You can give everything you have away. And so this morning as we close, I want us to think just for a moment about the power that exists in this room. When you take the Proverbs teaching on money, in light of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and then, and then bringing the spirit of God to fill us and empower us to live a radically generous life, the, the results are unimaginable. Think for a moment about the 120 men and women gathering, gathering, gathered in the upper room just days after Christ ascended to heaven. According to worldly standards, they were dirt poor. They had left everything to follow Jesus and they didn't have much. But you remember what happened to them, don't you? The spirit of God filled their lives and transformed them into a radically generous community and their generosity flipped the world upside down. It flipped it upside down. Acts chapter four says that there was not a need among them. They were watering one another. This is how you can give and be blessed at the same time. If you live in a, a community of people that are radically generous, if God can use 120 poor men and women to bring the Roman Empire to its knees, what could he do with this church? I wanna want ask that again. If God could use 120 men and women that were relatively poor by earthly standards to bring the Roman Empire to its knees, what could he do with this church? We have about 10 times the amount of people and I don't even know how much more money than was, than was assembled in that room. What could God do with this church? What an incredible goal. How do we get there? I, I wanna just give you three small steps that I think can transform our life together. The first step is this, give yourself to the Lord. It would be impossible for us to live a radically generous life if you're not united with Christ, the greatest giver. You could give a good gift without Jesus, but you won't enter into a radically generous lifestyle, which is the goal of the message, which is the goal of the Bible's teaching on money. We all know that Zacchaeus, remember him? He was a wee little man that gave a very great gift. But remember, he didn't make the gift from the sycamore tree, did he? Like a lot of times it's easy to think that he saw Jesus walking by and on the sycamore tree, he said, I'm gonna give all of my money away to the poor. That's not how he did it. You remember where he made the decision? Over dessert. He had invited Jesus into his house. Actually, Jesus had invited him into his house. And over dinner, he had this remarkable transformation and he said, I, I give it all. I give it all away. If you've not received Christ into your life, you won't be able to live a radically generous life. And so before you give your money away, give yourself to the Lord. I was thinking about this. What if I preached a, a powerful message on money and we took up an offering and we paid off the new auditorium, but your hearts weren't united with Christ? I would have failed would have failed. The goal of this message is to see you united with Jesus and he'll work it out. He'll work out the details in your life. Second, give yourself to the Lord first. Second, give yourself to the community. It will be impossible for you to live a radically generous life if you're not connected to a gospel-shaped community. 
You need other people in your life to be able to give like the early church gave and like God would have us give. Nothing kills generosity like individualism. And if you haven't noticed, our world is obsessed with chronic individualism. Let me try to explain. Many Americans take pride in the fact that I never ask for help. I don't need anything from you. And it's a remarkable thing, isn't it, that we live in a country that is so wealthy and full of so many opportunities that one person in the family could go to work and provide enough for him or herself and then for the entire family and then have enough to shave off a little bit to give. It's a remarkable thing. That kind of giving is fine, but I want you to hear that it's extremely limited. You know why? Because if you're giving from a place of individualism, you can't take any risks. Church, if we're just shaving off little pieces off the top, we're gonna get a very small result. And I don't know about you, but I, I think there's something bigger for us. I think the Bible calls us to something better. I, I don't want our community to get a 10% impact. Do you hear that? Just a little bit off the top. I think the Bible calls us to live a radically generous life where we need one another and we're taking care of one another. And out of that, the spirit produces something truly remarkable. We just read Ephesians 3 in the middle of one of our worship songs. We serve a God that is able to do far greater than we could even imagine. We can gather together and see needs and meet them together. That's so much more powerful than individuals meeting needs on their own. Just a small, small example of this. M many of us foster in this church. We've invited children into our home that need a place to live. You can't do that alone. I, I couldn't do that if I said, I don't need your help. I need your help. We all need each other. And that's how that works. Together, our generosity can be extended to meet the needs of other people. If we draw together and embrace this value of joyful generosity, I, just, I get extremely excited to think of what could happen in this church. In a year or two, could you imagine operating debt-free? Could you imagine having so much money for the missions that we're just sending missionaries out every month? Our benevolence fund has more money than we know what to do with. That could happen. I believe it. Finally, the last step is to live modestly. Give yourself to the Lord. Give yourself to the community. But this is key. We need to live modestly. You can't grow in generosity and in worldly wealth. Maybe you think you can do both, but you can't. You can't keep a checking account in God's economy and a checking account in the secular economy that we live in. Or as Jesus said, you can't serve God in money. It would be impossible to live a radically generous life that God would have us live if we're still chasing the dream. It is extremely liberating to sit down and to say, I have enough. What would happen to our church if every family this afternoon or this evening gathered up and asked the question, how much is enough? Do we have enough? And what can we do with the rest? I wanna close with this prayer in Proverbs chapter 30. In fact, it's the only prayer in the book and it's a beautiful prayer. And I would encourage every family to pray this every day of the week and see how God transforms us. Proverbs chapter 30, verses eight and nine. Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of my God.